the contestants come because they want their porridge tasted by people with a palate. You can't just put anybody on that judging panel. So there was a bit of pressure there early on, <laughs> you know, to find those people. Final episode before the Golden Spurtle. I went on holiday to Scotland accidentally two weeks before the Golden Spurtle and realised that we went on holiday less than an hour's drive from where the Golden Spurtle is taking place, which is seven hours drive from where we live. But that's okay, because it meant that I got to um, go and do a recce of the village of Carbridge, which is the village that the Golden Spurtle World Porridge Championship takes place. Um, so I got in touch with Golden Spurtle and the wonderful Karen, um, whose surname I've already forgotten. The wonderful Karen, um, who's the caretaker organiser, she's calling herself the caretaker organiser, um, she showed me around the village hall and talked to me about the competition. And then she also talked to me about porridge, what it means to her, um, and some other amazing stuff about like, well, about oats, about life. Um, what else do I ever really talk about? So um, it was super duper fun. One thing that was very interesting was it turned out that um, I thought the rules for the Golden Spurtle competition were one thing and it turns out they're another. So it's been very enlightening and I've had to do a lot of uh, practice over the last couple of weeks. Well, no, over the last week. I only saw her a week ago since recording this. So yeah. Um, We'll see how it goes, but it was so wonderful to meet Karen um, and learn a bit more. If you're interested, intrigued into what the competition is, how it goes, then have a listen. Hope you enjoy. Hello, Karen. Hello, Hester. <laughs> Very nice to meet you in real life. Yes. Um, I think we spoke on a video call a couple of weeks ago mm -hmm. um, when I was trying to gather some intel on the Golden Spurtle. Yeah. And I'm actually on holiday in Scotland a couple of weeks ahead of the competition. So decided to come and do a bit of a recce. It would be really great if you could introduce yourself, please. Um, so who are you? What do you do? And why am I here talking to you? <laughs> okay, so I'm Karen, Karen Henderson, and uh, I am a resident of this lovely village, Carbridge. Um, and this year I have taken on what I'm calling a caretaker role um, for the uh, World Porridge Making Championship or the Golden Spurtle. I've lived in Carbridge about 10 or 11 years now and um, I, work, uh, I work for a fintech startup in, um, in the realm of people so I'm, I'm about employee experience. I don't like to call myself a head of HR. I don't really like that term. Um, I've worked remotely from Carbridge for about 10 years or as long as I've lived here. Um, so I'm, I'm all over flexible working. And um, yeah, I think that's a little bit about me. I mean, I enjoy most sport, um, most outdoor sport, running, swimming, cycling, all of that good stuff. Um, and do you enjoy porridge? I love porridge, yes. <laughs> That goes with the territory. Um, absolutely. Uh, porridge has been, gosh, a staple in my life since I can, well, since my sort of first memories, actually. I was think I was just saying to you there a moment ago, it, it's quite an evocative thing for me, porridge, when I think about it. You know, I have all these sort of childhood memories of mum making it and, uh, yeah, and like almost like this golden glow in the kitchen. 
might be a bit of a halcyon view, but um, yeah, it's it's been present all my life, and now more so for probably if I'm being really honest, probably more about energy needs now and fueling for for life rather than um, getting off to school with a belly full of food. Okay, <laughs> amazing. Thank you for sharing. There's a few things to unpick, if you don't mind. So number one, I'm going to go back to kind of, you've been in Carbridge for 10, 11 years. Mm. Um, you are in this caretaker role for the Golden Spurtle, mm-hmm. porridge making championship. Where did you grow up and mm-hmm. what brought you to Carbridge? Yeah, okay. So I grew up in Pembrokeshire in southwest Wales. Um, my father is Scottish, so I was a Munro uh, before I became a Henderson. So, so I like to think I've got a good Celtic mix there, Welsh and Scottish. So I did most of my formative growing up years in Pembrokeshire on the coast and then went away to university and then I ended up working in Edinburgh and I, I, I met my husband and um, we both had this love of the outdoors and we, we found that we were coming up here pretty much every weekend and we were driving up and down the A9 you'll, you'll know it well you've been on it and um, we just thought we need to try and make this home we need to try and make this work for us this is ridiculous driving up here every weekend and uh, and, and so we took we took the move and, and, and it's it's paid off which is brilliant so that's a very condensed uh, 40 years <laughs> That's fair enough. No, it's lovely to hear. Thank you. And did you, when you started kind of coming to this area, did you ever come and participate in or spectate during the spectate. competition? Yeah, mm-hmm. spectate. And I used to say to my husband all the time, I'm going to enter, I'm going to enter. And he'd just say, well, do it. Stop going on about it. And I had all these crazy ideas in my head of what my speciality was going to be. I've got this thing about popping candy. I would love to see someone use popping candy. I'm not a judge, so it makes no difference what I say. And I've already had to submit <laughs> And you've already submitted your recipe. So there's there no go. way for me yeah. to... Yeah, yeah. But, um, so I've, I've been inspected a, a few times and, uh, and then, yeah, then the opportunity arose this year to be more involved. Amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, does it feel like quite a responsibility? It does actually, yeah, tremendous responsibility actually, because um, whilst I knew passions were high about porridge and this competition in the village, it's not till you get into it you realise quite how involved it is and also how, how really protective people are of it and, and proud of the fact that they have it here and that we have it here. Um, and so it does feel like a huge responsibility for the community but also everyone who's coming in like we want you to have the best weekend ever right so you know we're all running around like headless chickens for nine months trying to make sure that it it works for everybody and obviously the original idea was to bring investment into the village in that shoulder season between summer and, 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 and new year or christmas you know, it stayed in October for that reason. And yeah, it, it is a responsibility. But also I'm heaping it on myself as well because I like, you know, if I take something on, I want to do it well. So this year is the 29th annual. Yes. 
when is it? 29th, yeah. So 29 years of history mm. of... Totally, yeah. And, and actually, I feel like, even though I've lived here for 10 years, I feel like a total incomer to it all. And I have the most amazing committee at work that I'm working with who have been doing... Some of them have been here since day one doing it. And so they've got all the historical context and, you know, they're just keeping me right, really. I, I, to be honest, they're doing it. I'm just a figurehead. much that's it yeah absolutely amazing it's com- yeah so it's completely community mm. led isn't it yeah it I is. think the last time that I spoke to you and one of your colleagues co-organized yeah, Charlie, Charlie yeah. you were talking about how there have been like offers and ideas of mm. scaling and bringing yeah. sponsorship in and making it a lot bigger mm. but actually that hasn't felt right yeah yeah that's right so um so Charlie actually um prior to me caretaking this year um has been organizing it and um uh, unfortunately was a little bit poorly this year so I, I I stepped in and um but actually he's back to full strength which is brilliant um and and you know very active in what's happening right now um and yes he uh you know, we've talked about this a few times within the committee, um, and there was a year, I believe, a few years ago, where we were really struggling to find someone that had the time to, to take on the organiser role. And, and we were offered whether we wanted a paid organiser, and the committee decided that actually we should, we should try and keep it true to, to its roots and, and what it's about, and that it's a volunteer led or, you know, a volunteer led event. Mm. Um, and it's not just the immediate committee who who are fantastic, but there's all the other volunteer positions that come together on the weekend. You know, we've got to put up marquees, we've got a, a full kitchen crew, um, you know, we've got to be on hand, we've got to have car marshalling, you know, all the, all the things that you sort of don't think about when you take on an event, risk assessments, insurances, you know, all of that good stuff. And so there is there is really a cast of... Um, I would say n- nearly hundreds probably involved overall. All of that terrifying stuff. Yeah, well, you're going to be part of it soon enough. Yeah, <laughs> it sounds like a mammoth task, but it's so exciting. Yeah. And then um, kind of talking about the idea of scaling and stuff, I know when I submitted my application, I got an email back, which I now know was from you, mm-hmm. um, saying um, we're going to be drawing names out of a hat this mm-hmm. year because we've had a real influx of yeah. um, applications was it a, has yeah. it really become a really popular yeah competition yeah it has and what's interesting is we've we we can take a maximum of 30 competitors in in uh, over the course of the five the five heats throughout the day um, you know, and a lot of people have said, well, why don't you go somewhere else and make it bigger? And well, we could do that, but but would we lose some of the the uniqueness? I, I think this is a really boutique niche event, and I think that's why people come. And if we scale it, maybe we lose some of that. So so at the moment, yes, there's there's a cap on thirty. Um, every year we're oversubscribed. Um, so the fairest way we've got of doing this that we can think of is to literally take all of those names and literally pull the names out of a hat. Um, so we did that this year and then we had um, a roll down list. Um, and actually we have had, uh, you know, and I think it's a sort of sign of the times, we, we have had a few people 
um, drop out this year and, and they've said it's to do with the cost of flying or you know just general living costs and I totally you know the committee totally understand and get that and that's a real shame. So, so we worked down through the um, reserve list this year as well. Um, so everybody who applied has had opportunity to compete this year. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So that's good. Yeah, fab. Um, and oh, what was the next question I was going to ask? Um, <laughs> it's gone from my head completely. Oh, no, um, I guess it was a comment that if you did, if you did scale, you then get into quite tricky territory because how many judges are there on the day? So there's three judges, uh, yeah. Three judges who yeah. are tasting yeah. 30 mm-hmm. traditional mm-hmm. porridges, yeah. which take, the winner will take the title of the Golden Spurtle, right? Yeah. So that's just porridge using oats, um, either oatmeal, oatmeal. like course, yeah. or jumbo oats, right? No, no. oatmeal. Oh. Um, so oatmeal, coarse, medium or fine. Yes. Um, or pinhead. Yeah. 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 Um, so no like process, no, no. flaked, nothing no. like that. No. So 30 bowls of that. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and then they have 30 bowls of the speciality. Speciality. To try. So, I mean, I feel like 60 bowls of porridge. <laughs> it's a lot, isn't it? <laughs> It's already quite a lot for those poor three people to try. Um, Not poor, because, I mean, porridge is life. Porridge is amazing. Um, But, yeah, I can't really imagine asking three people to be eating any more than that. I know. I know. You're absolutely right. I hadn't even thought about that. (laughs) Yeah, now you put it like that, it's quite an ask, isn't it? They Um, always um, joke about... If you ever watch, like, MasterChef, you know when they have the um, uh, critics or chefs Mm. into taste contestants yeah. food they always joke about how if they really like something then they eat more That's of it true. and they're like oh hang on I need to try yeah. everyone else's dishes yeah yeah you're right and 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 you know one of the things that struck me when I first took this on was how um how impassioned the committee were about getting good judges because they said they kept saying to me the the contestants come because they want their porridge tasted by people with a palate. You can't just put anybody on that judging panel. So there was a bit of pressure there early on, <laughs> you know, um, to, to, to find those people. Um, but yeah, we've got a really good lineup. So we've got Neil, uh, Neil Mugg, who um, has been a judge previously um, and on, on a number of occasions. And um, and now uh, is is a head lecturer at um, uh, Perth UHI, um, but has a, a stellar career in 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 chefing in various large hotels and whatnot. So, really knows his stuff. Then we have Kirsten Gilmore from. Um, so Kirsten is like uh, a New Zealander that the Highlands has sort of adopted and taken under their arm, and and she's absolutely brilliant, and she run a very successful cafe. Um, I'm going to call it was a re- more of a restaurant than a cafe in Aviemore called the Mountain Cafe for years, and then she's written cookbooks and been on numerous programs, and now she has the most wonderful bakery. Um, Bothy Bakery in Granton on Spey on an industrial. In fact, you should go there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. On the industrial estate in Granton on Spey, um, and she's open till about four o'clock today. And yeah, 
you, you won't come out of there um, empty-handed. <laughs> and, and then our final judge um, is Sarah um, Rankin from, um, who, who was actually a, a, a finalist in MasterChef and is actually born and bred up in this area, which was fantastic. So, um, And originally she was just going to pop in to uh, say hello and talk to a few people, but um, we, t- we, uh, we managed to get her on board as a judge. So exciting. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, I've got, um, going to be having real professionals tasting my yeah. porridges. Yeah. yeah. Quite exciting yeah. and very scary. <laughs> um, but yeah, fab. Um, this might not make it into the, the episode, but mm-hmm. can I ask where in Pembrokeshire you're from? Um, I am from a, uh, just outside a town called Haverford West. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, do you know it? Yeah. We used to go, so all of my... All of my summer holidays as a child were Pembrokeshire. Ah. Um, like Haverford West Way, um, Tembe, more Fishguard. Fishguard, yeah. Yeah. Ah, um, okay. Yeah, like that's one of my favourite places ah. in the world. Abermower. Yes, beach. yeah, beach. That's like yeah. one of my, oh. that's kind of like my spiritual home. That's so um, cute. And then, yeah, then all of our October holidays were mm. always. Um, near where Inver is yeah. um, and kind of getting the ferry over to Butte. Ah, so, okay. Yeah, it's okay. funny. How... There we go. Small yeah. world. Small world. Yeah, both um, beautiful places in their own way. Yeah. I think there's something about being near the water oh, for me, it? like a yeah. big stretch of... Yeah. Sometimes when it, when it's quiet still, mm. um, it just gives me this sense of peace that I can't really replicate. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So on that note, we, we were talking about kind of porridge as a childhood thing. Yeah. Um, so you've moved, you've since moved to Scotland, mm-hmm. but you actually grew up eating porridge yeah. in Wales. That's right. So it's yes. not necessarily <laughs> just a Scottish kind of heritage yeah. thing. Yeah. Um, but can you tell me then a little bit about how you took your porridge as a child? Yeah, okay. That's... And maybe just kind of bring that image to life for me a little bit. Yeah, okay, sure. And I was asked this the other day by someone and I've done an awful lot of thinking about this. In fact, I've thought quite deeply about it. And here's where I've got to with it. When, when I was growing up, my, my father was Scottish, my mother was Welsh, and my father worked abroad. And so, effectively, my mum was sort of bringing me and my brother up, you know, almost single parenty um, for long, long periods while he was away. And I was just thinking, why is it? Sometimes I want salted porridge, sometimes I want sweet porridge. I don't, I'm, I'm not fixed, it just depends on where I am in any given day. And I've spoken to mum about this, and she said that when dad come home from his trips, she would always make porridge of salt for dad, because that's how he wanted it. But when he was away, we got it sweet. And so I've got really sort of different memories, all positive memories, but I just, you know, I just take it as I feel I want it on the day, but I can eat it either way. Mm. But, and I remember, I always remember it being, mum would do it on the hob with a wooden spoon, not a spurtle, I'm afraid. Mm. <laughs> For the purists there. I know, I know, I can't believe I've just said that on a podcast. Um, yeah, so wooden spoon and... Um, I don't, I don't know if other people, are, maybe we'll see this in the competition, I don't know, but it was almost like the porridge was in, this is going to sound awful, but almost a bit gelatinous and it would kind of move in one unit in the bowl. <laughs> She's not entering the competition, just so you know. Um, and, uh, and then the milk would go on it and sort of pool around it. <laughs> 
that the porridge would move in one unit. Yeah, I know. All of milk. Oh, my it. poor mum, she'll be going nuts if she hears us. Um, and yeah, so, so, but I always remember the kitchen, like it was almost this orange light, like low orange light. It was probably dark outside, right? Like early morning for school or something. But that's, and I can almost, I can almost be back in that room if I think about it. It's it's quite evocative, and um, so for me, I think it's a com. It's always been a bit of a comfort thing. And just a couple of weeks ago, or just the week before last, I I I, I had COVID, and actually, um, all I wanted to eat was porridge. I was just craving it like nobody's business. Um, so it it must be it must be almost like a comfort thing. Hmm. Anyway. That's, no, no, that's lovely. Thank you for sharing. Um, and can I ask, so when you say um, you take it kind of salted, is that literally just kind of nothing on top or would it be a sprinkle of salt? Yeah, I think um, salt in the cooking. So make it with the salt and then, yeah, sometimes I just like my food a bit plain. Like, it, I don't know, I flip around all the time. Sometimes I want it covered in berries and nuts and seeds and, and other times I just want it plain. So... And is that then when you do have something sweet, is that what you tend to...? Yeah, mainly for me, I would put honey on it and some seeds and nuts, probably, usually. Because I'm a bit obsessed about protein at the moment. <laughs> Interesting. So, so I'm trying to put nuts and seeds on everything. And um, what's kind of well, what's thinking behind that? Well, I th- you know, not to take us on to a different podcast, but I'm a middle-aged woman, go, you know, perimenopause, trying to get as much protein in me as possible. So, and, you know, I do a lot of sport and um, try and do a little bit of weightlifting and things. So it's really, you know, I, I, and I've read loads recently about, you know, how important it is for, for your body. So, um, yeah, just trying to get protein in every meal. But oats are a really good source of protein already on their own, but I just like to add to it. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. I um, Yeah, I was going to say, oats are a really good source yeah, of protein. Yeah, yeah. yeah they really Obviously, are. Obviously, you already know that. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I think it's something that in previous episodes of this show, um, when I was talking to Nick Barnard, we were talking mm-hmm. a lot about um, kind of understanding how you can use food to nourish yourself and and kind of being curious about what's in it and working out what you need and that that changes throughout the course of your life yeah what your body needs and your brain needs changes a lot um and it yeah it's funny for me i feel like oats are the I don't know all of the science behind it Mm. and maybe that's something Mm. i'll learn more about over time Mm. Um, i'll continue learning (laughs) but um they are they feel like such a source of nourishment yeah for our bodies but then also that emotional mm. yeah. um yeah they they almost i mean everyone talks about superfoods i don't know if oats were included in the superfood list were I they think, i think they are yeah and i think they really deserve that place then because I remember years ago, my mum used to do all these diets, you know, the cabbage soup and blah, blah, blah. You know, there were so many diets in the late 80s. And then I remember um, then she got on to the, okay, it's all about slow-release carbohydrate. So then it was all about low-glycemic foods. So she was always... Then then oats suddenly became a, a staple in our house and we were having oat cakes instead of bread and, you know, all that sort of stuff. Um, 
and then now I fast forward again and it's and and it's really about how much fiber we can take in to, to line our to line our guts and our intestines to slow the absorption of sugars and you know not spike our insulin and I'm finding that science I, I am a bit geeky I really do quite like reading about science um, I find that really interesting because I, I've, I've just started in the last few years getting into more endurance events like long runs, long swims and I want to fuel myself but without using all those sticky gels and sweets um, which, which I have to say I did for a long time and then I would find for weeks after an event I'd be really knocked out of sorts because my body was like whoa you're filling me full of sugar all the time I really want more of it now and then it would take me another six months to try and almost get equilibrium back, if that makes any sense. Yeah, no, it does. So I think, you know, anything sort of oak-based now is really, it, it, it is, is a go-to for me. And, and in their simplest form, so that the body has more of the fibre. Yeah. Um, and that's something with, again, I have to... I think I have to get this down from a, I almost need like a bullet point list so I can just check my facts as I'm saying it. Mm. Um, but with oats, the kind of the simplest, purest form, which is kind of the, the meal, the grain, mm. so what we'd call pinhead or mm. coarse yeah. um, oatmeal, um, that's the least processed, so that retains most of the like it's the whole yeah. grain right yeah so all of that fiber all of that uh, potential for yeah. absorption all of that great stuff um but it also is not that digestible for us mm. and so then what you do is you soak them mm. and i think one of the um it's actually something i learned from reading nick barnard's book right um is the power of soaking and yeah, it. Yeah. Just leaving it in water overnight or even for a few yeah. hours just starts to soften it and break it down. Yeah. And it means that it cooks really quickly. Yeah. yeah. Which I know is an issue for people sometimes when they think, well, you know, I put porridge in a pan and That's then right. it cooks, but I get this weird, chewy, yeah. hard thing. Yeah. But if you actually put them in water and let them sit, then it yeah. cooks really quickly. Yeah. And it also means that our bodies can actually get all of the great yeah. richness from the oats yeah i completely agree with all of that and and that's why i think there's this huge movement in overnight oats where people are just soaking them in you know whatever milk or, or type of fluid that they like and then adding things to it so yeah it's it, it's versatile isn't it so you you don't necessarily have to stand over the hob stirring away for five minutes you know um yeah, you, you do have those options. And dare I say it, you can put them in the microwave as well. But uh... <laughs> For me, honestly, that is... I mean, I actually don't have a microwave at home. We don't have room in our kitchen, for one. But um, microwave and porridge fills me with yeah. terror because... <laughs> it spits at me. I, I used to try, but I'd say the ratio of mm. um, it not exploding to... Yeah it exploding was like one to one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and nobody likes cleaning a microwave. But I think that's the thing with it, with oats, like it, we were saying um, before we started recording, and hopefully we can circle that round, um, they are, they can be perceived as a bit laborious and not that easy necessarily mm. to cook and eat and not necessarily that exciting, but I think if you can understand a little bit about how to cook them yeah. and what to use them for and with 
actually you realise that they are really simple. Mm. They can be really quick. Yeah. And one of the, well, a few of the huge pluses for me with oats is that they're, they're not expensive. Yeah, they're not. No, they're readily no. available. That's right. And yeah. they are indigenous, right? Yeah. They're like they are our grain yeah. that still grows in our country. Mm-hmm. Actually, I've been looking into buying some seed because you can grow oats in your garden. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and, and we grow them really well. I mean, you know, the British Isles is, is the perfect growing ground for it. We get that we get the sun, we get the rain, you know, we get everything that we need for them. So it's brilliant. Um, but your point on price is is or cost is so low cost. Someone said to me the other day, and and actually it was um, the CEO of Hamlins, our our, our main sponsor, um, said to someone the other day, and, and and I heard this second hand, but I know it's true that it's something like four pence. To create to cook to make yourself a bowl of porridge, I mean, what else can you buy for four pence? Nothing. I mean, and that's a bowl of food that really is going to fill you up for a good few hours. Yeah. So when you look at it like that, and you think about what's going on right now in our country, you know, yeah. we can all do with a four p bowl of food. But I do, and I do get it. Like I know that people, you know, I'm in a, I'm in a, I live a very privileged life. And I have the time, like I don't have any children. Mm. I, I have the time every single morning and I work remotely a lot of the time. Yeah. I have the time every single morning to make myself mm. a bowl of porridge mm. um, and to take the time, yeah. you know, to do whatever I want with it. I know that's mm. not the case for everybody. Mm. And um, that kind of goes back to my point around, it's like, if you understand they're almost like cheats and short, mm. not even mm. shortcuts, but if you just understand the quick things you can do that take a little bit of forward mm. planning, but once you get into the rhythm with them, they really yeah. don't well, take time. Well, and Hester, you might know more about this, right? So uh, there are people right now that cannot put their hopes on. They can't afford to put the hob on. And, and, and that is just... It's, it's awful when you think about it, right? There are people in this country that cannot put their hob on. I don't know if those same people can put a kettle on or maybe maybe there is a way to make really cheap porridge just by boiling a kettle or having some form of hot water. Maybe it doesn't have to be stirred for ages. Like you said, if you soak it, I don't know. Yes, yeah, so there's actually a form of... Um, actually, a listener of one of my previous episodes, so... Um, someone who's list- who listened to the podcast got in touch with me a couple of weeks ago and started asking me questions about my interest in oats. Mm. Turns out they know a lot more about like the history, right. the heritage, the origins of oats than I do. Uh-huh. And I'm definitely mining this person yeah, for more yeah. information. <laughs> I would love a book about oats. So mm. if anyone listening oh, right, yeah. knows any, knows of any, like histories of oats, yeah. I would like be so open to recommendations. But this person asked me if I had ever made bros or oh. knew about bros. And I was like, I no, I never, never heard of it. But just one quick Google. Yeah. Um, so bros, spelled B-R-O-S-E, mm. um, is a an oat-based dish uh-huh. that is made by pouring hot liquid on oats, stirring it and eating it. Oh, okay. So, so it's, literally it's, that. It is a form of porridge. It's just... Yeah, it's, it's, I guess, porridge. The idea of porridge is that it's almost like, it's not a gruel, because gruel is a thing in its own right. Yeah. But it's a, um, it's a dish made from 
adding liquid to a grain and then stirring it on a heat to cook it. Mm -hmm. And that exists in every single civilization yes. using their indigenous yeah. grains. Yeah. You know, like yeah. you have congee in like yeah. China, which is yeah. rice, you have um well, I don't know. Quinoa, 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 whatever you want to call it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, all over yeah. the shop, yeah. you've got Everyone different versions. Their own green. Yeah. yeah, so I think that this brose is not necessarily a porridge, it's another kind of dish, but it's a very similar process, but rather than, as you say, rather than cooking it by stirring it on a continuous heat, you're just adding, flashing, mm. like adding it, mm. adding hot liquids, it could be hot water or hot milk, to it. Um, I don't know what that would mean for the, you know, we're talking about how when you start to, uh, like when you soak, when you leave an oat in liquid for a while, it starts to break down and you get mm. the nutrients through. So I don't know what it will mean for the nutrition oh, profile okay. of the oat, yeah. but I wonder whether if you've got a more broken down mm. oat, like mm. more like a quick yeah, cook yeah, oat, maybe yeah, then, yeah. then you would be able to... Mm kind of digest a lot of the yeah. nutrients or absorb them um but i thought that's so interesting because yeah, fascinating how many times have you like i've done it when i've been so when i soak oats sometimes if i don't have much time i'll boil a kettle and put hot water mm. on them yeah and leave them for like half an hour yeah. um and then i look at the mix and i'm like oh i wouldn't yeah. be eating that <laughs> needs to go on needs to go on the hob but actually, I think part of that is psychological from mm. thinking about what I'm trying to make and that being porridge. Yeah. One, one of our competitors, um, and I just caught it on, um, did I catch it on Instagram or something the other day? One of our competitors, I'm sure, uh, gosh, and I want to say it, it, it's Caroline Velick in Australia who's coming over this year. I'm sure she did a piece about... Re reheating up porridge like two or three days old and adding fluid to it and bringing it back to life mm. and basically saying look you don't have to make this from scratch every day mm. I'm sure of it I'm sure I've seen that so that's another thing it makes me think about my father telling me that his porridge used to be kept in a drawer and they used to cut it with a knife and take slabs of it to school no, my dad doesn't let the truth get in the way of a good story. However, I do actually believe him on this one. I, I think he's right. I think his mum used to make porridge, pour it into some sort of lined drawer, and then they would just cut chunks of it. <laughs> I mean, I, I honestly don't... It's You've got my, you've got my cogs whirring, because I don't know where the line is between, you know, like, what we... Like, psychology and thinking about things like that and thinking they're not porridge, mm. not being used to those as ideas. So yeah. being like, oh, I wouldn't eat that. Or just the fundamental, like, cold porridge from a drawer or a slab. Yeah. Like, <laughs> there's, there's no getting around that. Maybe we put some jam on But it. I mean, I do, I do. So my partner Max sometimes raises an eyebrow or two because, I mean, I eat, yeah, I eat porridge cold mm. when I've got leftovers. Yeah. And you can do a lot with it. Like, yeah. you can add it into other things. You can make... Um, I made some like pancakes, added yeah. some flour to it and oh, fried that idea. up. Um, you can, if you need to put some wallpaper up, you know. <laughs> <laughs> now, now it's getting ridiculous. <laughs> so, I mean, it's been so, do you know what, I've had such That's a funny. fun time this week while I've been in Scotland. So we've been, we've covered a few areas while we've been driving around mm -hmm. and um, 
There are just so many oats. Have you been trying porridge everywhere you go? I haven't been trying porridge, but I've right. been buying pretty much any oat-based porridge right, okay. I can find. That's so the car is stuffed full of different kinds of oat cakes and oat biscuits oh. and, and other things. Um, and we had, so we went to my probably my favourite restaurant in the world, um, which is called Inver, which a lot of readers, uh, readers, mm. a lot of listeners might have heard of. Yeah. Um, it's... So it changed hands, I think, in 2015, or it was taken mm. on by a chef called Pamela Brunton, right. um, who has worked with the likes of Noma. Like, she's an amazing oh, chef. Okay. But I grew up going to this area of Scotland um, in the October half-turns as a child, and it was a, still a nice kind of cafe restaurant when I was younger. We used to go, mm-hmm. um, and it was always like our treat meal when we were on holiday. Yeah. And then Max and, I, Max and I went on holiday to the same area a couple of years ago and tried the new, kind of the new version of the restaurant. Right. And it's breathtaking. It? Like, the food's beautiful. It's beautiful inside. It's just the most, like, peaceful, amazing experience. We went back again. Um, so my friends bought me for my 30th birthday this year mm-hmm. um, a voucher for an overnight stay because they have these yeah. little bothies to the side oh, of the restaurant. Oh, lovely. It's amazing. Mm. And so to get to my point, we after the overnight stay, um, you get breakfast included mm-hmm. and they deliver it to your room. Nice. And part of breakfast was this porridge bread. Nice. Which was unreal. Really? I think it's like a blend of sourdough. I was going to say sourdoughy. I bet it was spongy. Yeah. Oh, it was so moist and spongy. Mm-hmm. And that is right up my street for bread. Nice. Like the kind of bread that you know you probably need to eat in two days, otherwise it'll start kind of... Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, when you go to KJ's Bothy after this to the bakery, you can pick up some of her... She does oat sourdough bread. Yeah, you're going to love it. Yeah. That sounds amazing. But, yeah, there is so much. Like, Mm. I don't know, maybe you and I should spearhead this oat (laughs) renaissance. Yeah, maybe. So there's so much, there's so much that oats can be used for, and I think we've got like there's such a rich history, obviously in Scotland, mm. but across the UK, there's such a rich history yeah. of oats, um, and I wonder whether it might be the time to kind of bring some of those mm. back to life and explore some of them. But think about the countries, the competitors that are coming into this competition every year. It's, it's, it's not just UK, right? Everyone, like you said earlier, everybody has got their form of it. Uh, every country enjoys it. Um, yeah, there's a global movement. Towards <laughs> How exciting. <laughs> Amazing. Right, well, I think that probably can bring us to an end of the interview. I'm amazed how how much we could talk about oats. Yeah. And I, mean, I, I have to now that now that I spent 71 minutes talking to Nick, I'm really <laughs> conscious about not getting carried away because I absolutely could. But um, thank you so much for your time, Karen. My pleasure. I am so excited to see you again in a couple. Yes, of days. I can't wait to see you on the on the uh, on the hobs ready to stir it sounds like there's going to be some i mean i'm definitely not coming to win the thing um i think that's not not a that's not a healthy mindset for me no it's not Um, it sounds like there are some really amazing people judging organizing competing it's just going to be so exciting to meet everyone and kind of soak it up it's going to be good fun really good fun and of course we have the meet and greet on the friday night as well so that's a great time to get to know everyone and say hello and really nice Can't weekend. Wait. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you so much. Pleasure. Thank you. <laughs>
much for listening. Um, it was so wonderful meeting Karen and chatting about oats and all things Goldsworth led the competition. Um, I'm actually headed there in just over a week. I think what I'm going to do is report back after the competition. So this episode is going live hopefully just a few days before I go head to head with the likes of Nick Barnard from Rude Health. And yeah, I will report back and share what happens. I mean, chances are slim and I'm not hoping for it. I'm just going there to have an amazing time, but who knows, I may return home with a golden spurtle or another prize in hand. Apparently there's cash money involved in the prize, so I mean, that's definitely making it worth a while. But we'll see. Thank you so much for listening and speak soon.